in church. You know it's okay to have fun in church? Yeah. If y'all can figure out how to do this here, you can probably figure out how to do it in life. Yeah. <laughs> right? All suffering and no glory. What the? Yeah. No. Jesus wants you to participate in all that he is. And I got to tell you, he's not unhappy. I think he's full of joy. Yes. Yeah. A few scriptures that have been on my mind that's going to shape what we talk about today is, and don't turn there, is Genesis 25, 26, 25, which we've been talking about. Isaac built an altar there and he called on the name of the Lord and there he pitched a tent and there his servants dug a well. Another scripture that's been on my mind coupled together that, with that is Hebrews 13, 10 that says we have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. Romans 8, 17 has also been on my mind, which says, now, if we are children, are you children? Yes. Then we are heirs. Yes. Heirs of God and co-heirs, watch this, with Christ Jesus. Yeah. If indeed with that we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. Saints, you can be a child of God, but still be enslaved. You can be a child of God and own the whole estate, your scripture says, but not enjoy the inheritance of a son. See last week's message. How is that true? Because you must practice his presence. You must participate in his plan for your life without reserves. Anybody ever pray for the baptism of the uh, uh, the fire of the Holy Spirit? Do you know what you're asking for? Do you know that you're asking for a spirit of purification to fall upon you? Not just, hey, make me excited for Jesus, but asking for the purifying fire of God to fall upon you and burn away anything that is in between you and him. Do you want that? Yes. Think about that before you pray for that. But yes, as sons, you do, whether you know it or not. William Booth said this, the tendency of fire is to go out. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart. Anyone who has tended a fireplace, fire knows that it needs to be stirred up occasionally. Well, that's my calling. I came to stir you up this morning. Amen. Yes. Amen. You ready for today's title? Yes. Praise the Lord. It's time to return back to the altar. Saints, Revelation 19.10 says, As I fell at his feet in worship, the Apostle John says, he said this, see to, see to it that you don't do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Watch what he says here. It's a pretty peculiar scripture. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What does he mean? Chuck Missler said this. I love it. He said the Western mind views prophecy merely as a prediction and a fulfillment. But a Jewish mind, which your Bible was written by, hello, saw prophecy as a pattern being recapitulated where a, uh, where a pattern or events illuminate a thematic replay in the future happens. This has served me very well throughout the kingdom and especially in the charismatic world where they Everything, you know, I saw a blue bird, so that was the Holy Spirit. Well, maybe. 
right? Uh, you saw a blue bird before, yeah. But how do you know? Patterns. Patterns. The spirit of prophecy is pattern. When you see pattern, this is why I can look at Dylan and Caleb and I, and I can say, this is what you are. And they're like, I thought so. I'm like, I don't have to think so. I know so because I know when I'm looking at me. And that's a pattern. I've gone before you and you need to know, hey, these are the things coming for your life. Pattern. Prophecy is pattern. It, you, let me give you a little explanation. So re anybody remember Joseph in the Bible? Yes. Right. Prince of the world, if you would, or the free world of that time. He was a Jewish son, sold to his enemies by his brothers, praised and was famous among Gentiles. He was a Jewish son who became a Gentile prince. Later, he receives and forgives his Jewish brethren. And after testing them by speaking to them in other tongues, they're all unified again. How about Joshua, the victorious warrior whose name in Hebrew is Yeshua? He is born under the law to lead those under the law into what Moses could not lead them to. What? The promised land. Successfully bringing them through much warfare to possess what belonged to God and therefore and therefore belong to them as well. Sound like a pattern? How about King David, the priestly king? He was a man after God's own heart. The king who was a priest fought God's battles on his behalf. He, he birthed the desire in his heart to build God's house, but his sons were the ones who would build it. Sound like anybody you know. Yeshua comes along and he fulfills all these things because prophecy is pattern. And the spirit of prophecy is the spirit of Jesus. And the spirit of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation 19.10 says this, and I fell at his feet and worshiped him, right? We just read this. And he says, don't do that. And look what he says next. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Not who will get it, who has it. They possess it. Do you know what that word means in Greek? It means echo. They echo the testimony of Jesus. They echo, 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 echo. The testimony of Jesus. Friends, you are an echo of his name when you live your life like Jesus did. Hebrews 13, 10 says it like this, and we said it just now. We have an altar from which those who served at the tabernacle have no right to eat at it. Friends, you have an altar. A life lived like Jesus is a prophetic life. That makes you a prophetic people. Amen. But listen to me this morning as we get started on our message. Fire doesn't fall on an empty altar. I said fire doesn't fall on an empty altar. There has to be a sacrifice on the altar for the fire to fall. And if you want the fire to fall, you must become fuel for that fire. Hebrews 8, 5 says they served at a sanctuary that was a copy and a shadow that was in heaven. You now serve as the reality of that. Wow. What a privilege. This is why Moses wanted, uh, warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern. Shown to you on the mountain. What Moses saw in heaven. 
he reproduced in the tabernacle on earth. What he gave, what Moses gave to Joshua, Joshua gave to Israel and Israel gave to the world. And that's what you're participating in this morning, saints. We must care about the accuracy of how we do life. If Jesus came and made himself an altar, what's that mean for you? I believe that the pre-cross Jesus is just important as the post-cross Jesus. For 33 plus years, he actually modeled for you a way to live. Wow. In 2018, the Lord taught us to bind ourselves to the altar. Today, he has caused us to return like Isaac and do the same thing. The Lord's been getting our attention with Genesis 20. 26, 25, again, as he did in 2018 and said, hey, you need to return back to that because I because you missed some things and you got some more to get out of it. Praise God. Amen. Psalm 118, 27 was the scripture that the Lord gave us in 2018 when he said, the Lord is God, David speaking, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Isn't that good news? Yes. With cords in his hand. Bind me to the horns of the altar, David said. Now, King David is now responsible as king for the procession of sacrifice that's going on. And he's watching the sacrificial lamb being brought to the altar. And he and something begins to move on his heart. He sees it and he says, man, that is awesome. And I love the fact that that's a sacrifice unto the Lord, like and, and uh, is worship before the Lord. But put me on altar. Bind me to that altar. I want to be that close with the sacrificial work of God. Do you? Well, then you want to participate in the sufferings and the glory together. Amen. Those words spoke us loud and clear in 2018 because bind meant to yoke and the cords were an intertwining together on an altar, which was a place of transformation. How many of you have been transformed since you've been here? How many of you have taken the yoke of Jesus on your life? You have been intertwined with him as though you and he are one and it's caused you to be transformed into the likeness that he is. Amen. Amen. But if you want to build something for God, there is a pattern. We're going to talk about that this morning. Amen. In 1 Corinthians 3, 9. It says this, for we are co-workers. Too many times we've been raised letting everybody do something for us. Right? We love when we sing the Lord fights our battles for us because then that actually gives us permission to sit and do nothing. But that's not what your Bible teaches you. Your Bible teaches you that you have to stay in step with the spirit, that you have to stay in step with the Holy Spirit. The pneuma of God, the breath of God is always on the move. And so shall you be because you're co-heirs with Christ Jesus. And in order to get that transaction of the inheritance from heaven, you got to get up and do something with your faith. First Corinthians three, nine, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each of you should build with care. Watch this. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that's already laid, which is Christ Jesus. And if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, 
Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Notice that he didn't say quantity. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it burns up, the builder will receive and suffer loss, even though he himself is saved. At some point, we have got to get past the uh, a spin in a life trying to be convinced that God exists and worried about whether you're a son or daughter of not. At some point, somebody has has to treat you like the son that you are and the daughter that you are so that you'd be convinced of what you are. That's what we're going to do with you today. We're not going to give you three points in a poem. We're actually going to give you the word and expect you to rise up to it. I don't care if you're 15 years old in this place. You're called by God, capable and able to be released into the kingdom of God and actually do mighty things for him. We have to break this this uh, spirit of uh, perpetual adolescence in our generation. Saints, if you want to be or if you want to build an altar for God, you must start the way that Jesus started in weakness. We're about to speak about something called uncut stones, because this is what the this is what your altar was actually built out of. And it's very important for you to understand what that is. Saints, isn't it funny that men attempt to clean up their life in order to approach God? You ever met those people? I'm going to button up real tight before I come to church. Yeah, okay. Right? Or even after, right, they've they've been accepted by God, they dress their lives up for men to appear holier than they are. Oh, y'all are quiet. That didn't happen. That's just me? Yeah. Yet what does God do for them? He covers them anyway. He covers them anyway. Why? Because it gives them a time to realize that God loves the real, raw, and uncut version of them. How many of you are tired of just like playing church? How many of you, you're sitting here today, right? Because you got some mega monstrosities that you may have ran from because you're not okay with just falling into a big crowd, right? And getting lost in it, but never getting equipped. You may be here today, right? Because you understand that you don't like fake people. When I was lost, I didn't like fake people. King Jesus found me, set me free, flipped me inside out. I still don't like fake people, but I'm a pastor, so I get to do life with them. Here's what you're going to learn today. The kingdom of God is not built on polished politicians or manicured men. It's established by daughters of God who are like diamonds in the rough. It's led by it's led by sons who understand what I mean when I say masculine holiness. They know what it looks like because they just walk in it. Some people think I'm arrogant sometimes. But King Jesus has made me confident. And I got to tell you, if you knew me 20 years ago, you'd be excited because because I was inadequate, in, insignificant in all those things. But I was not confident. Now I'm confident. He chose me. I didn't choose him. So the things that are in my life, you're seeing my humanity. We're still working on it. And you get to talk to him about it. And you can also approach me about it. And I'm going to tell you how we can grow out of these things as well. 
1 Peter 2, 4 says this, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God, chosen by who? By God. That ought to give you some confidence right there. And precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Friends, what you're about to learn is your uncut stones. The word uncut stones for you scholars in here is is Strong's number H8003, and it's Shalim, which is really close to Shalom, which is interesting, isn't it? And you know what an uncut stone is? An uncut stone is what was actually gathered to then create an altar. And it was actually forbidden by God to actually create an altar with cut stones. I wonder why. Uncut stones, the word literally means full, made ready, peaceable, perfect, and whole. Like an unmined diamond. Y'all understand that? Like a raw jewel of the earth. Uncut is excellent the way that God made it. And he loves it that way. If you ever go out to an empty riverbed, you'll find some stones that are smooth around the edges and the water, the hand of God actually created that stone. If you take a diamond out of the earth, man actually has to put a tool on it and manufacture it in order to get it on your finger. And God said, I liked it just the way it was. And I want you to build my altar with uncut stones. That's interesting to think, because as you move forward, you're actually going to be reminded that you are that altar. And it might just help you hang around with a community of people that might not be like you. It might actually help you understand, right, all that strife going on inside of you to think that you got to clean yourself up and button yourself up in order to hang around some Christians. If those are the Christians you want to hang around, that's awesome. But it won't happen here because we're a bunch of uncut stones. Amen. Yeah. I love that song. We play it in here sometime. I think it's Dalton Thomas. He says the difference between a, a bride and a whore is that she knows that she's made for more. Right. Talking about out of Revelation. Right. She knows that she's made for more than what a man can make out of her. Do you have that sense in you? Like, man, I know that there's something more in the kingdom. I know that I'm made for more. We all can probably collectively agree when we look out at the global bride of Christ, she's made for more than she's currently producing. And it hurts our hearts, but we are those who are actually going to do something about it. You can get bitter and you can get skewed and you can get opinionated. But if you don't get to work and actually establish some integrity in the kingdom, then why should anybody listen to you? Amen. I, the pastor sent me up here today and said, you tell them. <laughs> because we want a sustainable fire. We want a perpetual fire. We don't want something that peaks. We don't believe in revival. We believe in evolution of holiness. Because that's, what's, is, that's what brings a sustainable fire. We've seen Brownsville. We've seen everything that's happened through the generations. And that's nice. But it only lasts for a time. 
It only lasts for some years. What do we do? What can we do to actually produce something that keeps us increasing in an ever-increasing kingdom until the coming of the son that we love? I'll tell you what we do. We get serious and we return back to the altar. Yeah. Hmm. Uncut stones. You know what's the opposite of uncut stones? Cut stones. You know where they cut stones at? In Egypt. More bricks. More cut stones. More manufactured men. So that they can perfectly fit together so that each one of them individually are really, really equipped and strong in and of themselves. And they just fit together like this monstrosity of a wall that we build between us and God. More brick, more brick, more brick. The spirit of Pharaoh saying more brick. Tell me that spirit's not going on in our generation. Multitudes under the hand of oppression calling it freedom. Hmm. Building with cut stones that God will never consecrate. The word cut, again, for you, those of you who care, is Strong's number H1496, and it's Gaza. Dressed stones, some of your translation says. It means to be hewn, sought, or wrought. And they had to use an actual tool on it. Genesis 11.1 1 speaks to this when it says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of uncut stones and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we might make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the earth. We will be judged by God. So let's try to circumvent him instead of yield to him and see how he would build something. Saints, uncut stones represent your raw humanity and your inability to build anything apart from God. How many of you are trying to run from that? Uncut stones represent your raw humanity and your inability to build anything acceptable to God apart from him and your faith in his finished work and what he has said. First Corinthians said it. Uh, Paul said in the first Corinthians, the weakness of the cross is foolishness to those who are parent, who are. Who are perishing. We have to return back to the altar. First Corinthians 2 1 says this. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. I love that. If you're a Christian making movement in this generation, somebody is going to disagree with you. Somebody's going to say something about you that's untrue. Somebody's going to lie about you, or somebody is going to skew the truth about you. You don't defend yourself, you simply move forward. 
you because you know that you're doing what the Lord asked you to do. And what will happen is you'll produce fruit. And if somebody wants to say something about you, you say, hey, listen, judge my fruit. You're looking at the wrong man. You're looking at the outside instead of the inner works of King Jesus. In weakness and with great fear and trembling. And my men and my preaching were with wise, not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the power. So that your faith might not rest in human wisdom, but the power of God. Many of you have visions and dreams in here that can only be accomplished by the power of God. But you have sought to accomplish them by the power of your of men, the power of your own strength. And that's why they're not here yet, because they're reserved for him to accomplish, not you. Second Corinthians 12, nine says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. That doesn't mean that you remain weak your whole life. It means that you bring your weakness into light where he transforms it into his mighty strength. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. It's an opportunity for God. Thank you for pointing that out. By the way, I already knew that. King Jesus and I were dealing with that. That's my weakness. That's not of God. I'm working on that. And you know what? I trust him. He's going to transform it. Praise God. Thank you for putting uh, verbs to it. Verbs. Yeah, that's right. Verb. Homeschool. I'm learning. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness, in insults, in hardship. Why do you think he's getting insulted? Are you insulted when somebody tells you, like, hey, you're this and that? I'm like, I know. <laughs> Hardships, persecution, difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Second, it's easy to point out the obvious. You got to be prophetic to point out something you can't see. Hello. Second Corinthians 13, four, for to be sure he was crucified in weakness. Yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him. Yet by God's power, we will live with him in our dealings with you. Praise God. Wow. The cross is an altar. The cross is an eternal altar. An eternal opportunity for you to commune with God. Your weakness is what God is after. He didn't come for the weak. He, came for the, he didn't come for the, well, he came for the sick, didn't he? Okay, just make sure y'all reading your Bibles. Your imperfections is God's opportunity to shine. Yet oftentimes, we simply rob him of that opportunity because we don't participate in his altar or in his cross. The cross itself was an actual altar. Where weakness is turned into strength. Saints, your generation has redefined biblical truths that are life-giving. Have you noticed that? Like grace that has, that has been called a license to sin, as though you need permission to do so. Repentance has become what happens when you say, I'm sorry, when you're wrong, instead of the opportunity to turn around and talk about it with your father. And the altar is that morbid place that you run from because you don't want to lose something instead of a place that you run to because you know it's where you gain life. Saints, this is the place where you get to participate as a co-heir with Christ in a phenomenal transformation of your body, your soul and your mind. Thank you, Lord. You paid the price for me. I plead the blood. 
Just stamp it on me, please. So I can just keep on walking and being the way I am my entire life and not ever change. You have sold yourself short. I love the fact that this time next year I'm not going to be recognizable. That I get to be transformed. That I get to be changed. That I have not arrived, but I'm going somewhere. I am not where I was, and I'm not where I'm going to be. That phenomenal freedom. Wow. Your imperfection is God's opportunity, saints. Yeah. And you get to get transformed. The altar of God is the place of transaction. You have an inheritance in the heavens that, is, that takes a transaction from heaven's bank account and deposited it in yours when you get on the altar and receive it. In Genesis 8:20, Noah was the first one, the first mention of an altar built in the Bible. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. And the Lord smelled a pleasing aroma. And he said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of their heart is evil from childhood. I'm glad that stopped being that way a long time ago. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, they will never cease. Wow. Saints, every altar of God is built to achieve the promise of his presence and take it from heaven and give it to you on earth. Noah knew this and he didn't have a Bible to read. Wow. Do you know that God's not caught off guard by your inadequacies? Only you are. He's not surprised by your failures. Do you read the rest about Noah's life? Man, somewhere around the same time period, he's drunk as can be, building altars, building altars, drunk as can be. Hello? Your weakness actually perfects his power. Your uncut, raw, unique approach does not diminish his altar. Man, there has to be some diversity in the body of Christ, and I'm not talking about the color of your skin. I'm talking about the color of your soul and the way you operate and the way that you, what you bring to the table. A little life in the house of God will go a long way. Some of you didn't get off your feet together and worship. Hang out for a year. You'll do so somewhere in between because you need to get free because you think you're free, but you're not. And not because you don't jump in, up and down off the ground like I do, but because there's some things in there that still belong to the Lord that if you'll lighten your load, he'll lift your countenance. Mm. But he loves the uncut, unique approach of every, every single person who he brings to his altar because it is actually what he makes his altar out of. Uncut stones, not dressed stones. The strength of dressed stones is found in the stone itself. The strength of uncut stones is found in what binds them together. If you went outside today and put uncut stones together, you'd have a problem with actually them sticking together. So what is it that binds us together? It's the love that we have for one another. People say a lot of things about us. 
But the one thing that's commonly said is you really do love one another. Absolutely. Give me a compliment, why don't you? Their mutual relationship that comes from the process of making your sinful heart holy and acceptable is the beauty that binds uncut stones together. Saints, you are inadequate in and of yourself because you are adequate in and of yourself because of Jesus. That is true. But you are not an altar until you join yourself together with other uncut stones. I believe the spirit of individuality is actually a spirit of antichrist today because there is one body, not a bunch of one body. Community. They don't understand what we're talking about because they only know institution, not organism, an actual family of God where you get real with each other, where you get raw with each other. Well, somebody might actually know your business. You know, you don't want that part. Mm, yeah. But at least they're being real with you. Not lukewarm. Lukewarm. You know what God does with the lukewarm. Okay. Now I'll get back to my prosperity and all this other message. I need to preach to you. Make you happy. I'm sorry, friends. You can't be happy unless you're holy. Happiness comes from holiness, not the other way around. Amen. Yeah. There's something dangerous about people who don't care what men think. A poor man hears no threat. <laughs> Give me just what I need, and that's you, Lord. So I might remain dangerous to the enemy. Or I could make a whole bunch of friends. Nah. I'll just make some sons. Your foundation, saints, must be on the same foundation as King Jesus. You cannot build any other way. It will be burned away. Hmm. Uh, Rashi was a uh, Jewish commentator. He's actually one of the sages and famous among the Hebraic commentators. This is what he said. He said, an altar could not be shaped by iron and swords were made of iron Rashi says that a sword or an iron sword is used to shorten life but an altar is used to extend life because when you extend life you provide more time for the hope of transformation wow when dressing your altars you take the chance of diminishing its raw value because man cannot improve on what God has called beautiful. God designed you uniquely. He saved you with your inadequacies in mind and he is using your weaknesses as a foundation of his glory. Saints, men must not be formed by mechanical means, but rather by the spirit and the word of God. Your foundation must be of uncut stones bound together by mutual love. First Peter says it like this in chapter two, verse four. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious 
to him. How many of you could feel the Lord just saying that to you in worship? You're precious to me. You're precious to me. And you can't hear that enough, can you? Precious to him. So you also, like living stones, not dying stones, living stones, are being built together into one spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. That is responsibility. Offering spiritual sacrifices, plural, acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. If King Jesus laid the only altar, then why are we talking about giving sacrifices as a holy priesthood on an altar that's been given to us? In verse 9, he says this, but you are chosen generation. Could you feel the spirit of the Lord saying that to us today? You need to be reminded of something. You're chosen. You're chosen. You're chosen. I chose you. I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. Because if you can't get that, we can't get anywhere. Wow. A holy nation, his special people. King James says a peculiar people. I love that because somebody might call you weird. Another one might call you, you know, call you up because they got all their problems. Right? And you're like, I thought, I thought you thought I was weird, but now I'm your solution. Like, what's going on? It's like, I don't know what you are, but I know right now you're just kind of going to help me. Yeah, because you're peculiar. I get that. You should be. You shouldn't be like the rest of the world. You actually should have a distinction. And your distinction shouldn't be what you, what you don't smoke and what you don't drink, right? But that the, way, the way that you love and the way that you stand for Jesus. That you might proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into a marvelous light. I can tell how much sin that many of you think you came out of by the way you praise. Those who, love, those who sin much love much. I sin a whole lot. Now I feel really, really loved because God forgave me of those things. And the greater revelation that you get of that, the greater your praises will be. Leviticus 6 said this about the altar. The fire on the altar must not go out. It must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning, watch this, the priest, which is you, is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offering on it. What was the fat? It was their excess. You got some excess in your life? The fat was the extra, that little extra something that you got in your life. They get to, they get to offer that too to the Lord, praise the Lord. Yeah. Saints, son must, sons must constantly return to the altar and participate in it, not just read about it in your Bible. When your Bible calls you a priest, it is giving you direction on how to live in life, not how to die in life. Do you, are you following me this morning? When Leviticus 6 says that priests were a pattern of what you are now, of how to draw near to God, and it says that the fire of God must not go out, and in order to do so, that you, like the priest, must bring something to the table, then you ought to pay attention because the Lord's teaching you how to have a perpetual fire. How many of, right, we're not Sunday Christians. We're everyday Christians. Isn't it good that you wake up and God is available each day and you get to participate in his presence, right? It's not just a Sunday thing. Man, I can't wait till Sunday gets here. Why do you think we do so many meetings, corporate meetings? Because the time between death and life is three days and three nights. So we offer you a service until you can figure out how to be an everyday Christian. Leviticus 6 told us that the priests must bring wood to the offering every morning. You're a priest, right? 
then you're responsible to fuel the fire of God. Genesis 11, you saw Noah. Do you remember what he did for the altar? He used the doors. He used the doors off of the ark. He had no plan B. He wasn't going to return. This man built an ark for a hundred years. And he said, that seems suitable to sacrifice. That, what I invested in for 100 years, seems like a good opportunity to burn away for God's fire. Some of you are having a hard time with your careers that you spend so long. And you know that inside your heart, the Lord's saying it's time for a change. But you said, listen, I've been doing this for too long. And the Lord says, and that is what I'm asking so that the fire of God might be lit in you. Because when Noah took the doors off of what he spent 100 years in investing, it lit the fire of God in his life. Wow. A lifetime of work for the fuel of fire. Are you willing? Elijah did so, or Elisha, who followed Elijah, did so in 1 Kings 19. In verse 21, it says this. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burnt the, the plowing equipment and he took the meat and he gave it to the people. He just gave it away and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and he became his servant. Do you realize what's going on here? Oxen were actually his means to provide. How many of you, right, you're in carpenters in the house? When God says, hey, I want you to go throw all your tools in the fire and burn them up and come and follow me. Are like, yeah, awesome. That must be God. It says that he took his plow equipment, which was made of wood. And it's what he used to create the fire so that he could burn the oxen, his ability to sow was put on the altar. His ability to make a living for himself is now gone. Wow. How many times have you put that on the altar? I've got about four careers under my belt that the Lord's asked me of. And he helped me build them all. And he's like, okay, cool. We built it. Now burn it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, Jesus will do that. The meat was the fruit of his hands and he gave it away. He gave it away. Man, finally, I got that savings, that 401k. Woo! <laughs> and the Lord's like, awesome, about time. We got something worth sacrificing. Because a poor man hears no threat, but a man with reserves is a, can be a captive to the devil. Judges... Chapter 6 and verse 23, we see it again. But the Lord said to him, Gideon, peace. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. I love that. <laughs> He's like, listen, I'm about to ask some very difficult things of you. You're going to have to like pick up your cross and follow me. But don't worry, it's not going to kill you. How many of you have felt like that? If I do that for Jesus, that might be the end of me. And God says, you're not going to die. Right? It's like some of you spanky children around here. That's okay. They not going to die. Love them from the rear end, like back, back side. You not going to die, he says. So Gideon is like, okay, I'm going to trust you, Lord. He built an altar. He built an altar to the Lord there, and he called upon the Lord. And he called him the Lord of peace. Wow. 
when he thought he might die and the Lord needed to encourage him that he wasn't going to and he followed through and did it anyway, at the end of it, he was like, oh no, that was actually the peace of the Lord. <laughs> so he needed to kind of like write it down in stone just to remind himself. To this day, it stands in Ophrah and the Abazarites, of the Abazarites. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from the, your father's herd, the <laughs> The one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah poles beside it. Watch this. And then build me a proper altar. <laughs> a proper altar. I don't build me that. Build me a proper altar. And you know what? Your father's idols will be a perfect thing to light the fire. <laughs> yeah, let that sit on some of you who've been raised in the church. I didn't been raised in the church, so I can say that. Hmm. Yeah. Saints, a priest, as a priest, it is your responsibility to intentionally arrange your life to fuel the fire of God, just like it always has been. When you bring something to the altar to die, God's already got life in mind. Do you trust him? Because every time that you return back to the altar, it's going to ask you that question. Do you love me? Your foundation is strong when you become confident. That's why the Bible says don't let anything steal your confidence. Friend, in every season, God will provide for you an opportunity to participate in his altar. Every single season. This is why we see Isaac returning back to the altar. He learned it from his father, and he's now producing the pattern, and the pattern is actually producing promise for him. That means, that means participation in the altar might look like when, when things are great. How many of you like those real good times? Right? A praise of gratitude, which we hear a lot in this place, Right. And recognition that God, a giver and the giver is good, is fuel, the fuel that lights the fire of God. And at other times when it's not great, but it hurts is also an opportunity to light the fire. Friends, a bruised heart that chooses to beat with passion for God in the middle of pulsing pain and confusion may just be the most expensive offering placed on God's opportunity so why do we run from it instead of run to it you must run to it God's in need of nothing right God's in need of nothing you need to remember that he's not trying to steal from you he's trying to give you something he's not trying to take from you He's actually probably trying to remove something from you that has control over you and you don't know it. You're not to be controlled by anything other than the love of God. It was for freedom that you were set free. Amen. Second Timothy one six says this for the reason I, this reason I remind you to fan in the flame the gift of God. Which is inside of you through the laying on of hands. First Timothy says this in chapter four, verse 14. Do not neglect the gift that is inside of you, which was given to you through prophecy spoken over you at the laying on of hands of the elders. 
Proverbs 16.1 says, the preparations of the heart belongs to man. You have a responsibility. And I love this one in Proverbs 26.20, where there is no wood, the fire goes out. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. Oh, there's an altar for us, but are you participating in it? We must return back to the altar, saints. When we make daily preparations to create the, an expectation of God's fire, your foundation as an uncut stone must be prepared to receive the responsibility of preparing a daily in a encounter with God. Is that you? Do you expect to encounter God? Because if not, you, you need to repent in your expectations. Because King Jesus didn't pay for you to get a partial, partial presence. He paid that you might have the reality of a son. That you might commune with him. And the altar is where you commune with God. In Genesis 25, 26, where we started today, Isaac maintained his sonship. And here, he also did something else. He maintained the fire of God. And he called upon the name of the Lord. And it caused everyone around him to flourish because this is what sons of promise should expect when they are obedient to the will of God. Instead of waking up each morning trying to do some checks and balances with the Lord, you wake up expecting the win. You don't wake up, Lord, just can you convince me that I'm a son? No, you know that you're a son. You know that you're a co-heir with King Jesus. You know you have an inheritance. You know you needed to do anything for God. You know you needed to live. So you have to tap into it, get a little something from the treasury of heaven, deposit it in your spiritual bank account, and get up and go. Mm. Yeah. I'm going to turn this message... Leviticus 1.1 says this, the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Men of God, you got a tent of meeting? Because you should. If you're a man of God, you should meet with God daily. Before you do anything, go to work, talk to your wife. She needs you to be a man of God. She needs you to get lit. Get a word from heaven to wash her in the word as the word says to do. So that she can even help you be a good leader. You see how that works? Yeah. So get you a tent of meeting. Amen. Some of you need a cup of coffee when you get up. That's okay. But best part of waking up is what? Jesus in my cup. <laughs> I'm over jet lag now, so y'all in trouble. When anyone among you brings an offering to the Lord... Bring it as your offering, uh, bring an offering as an animal, either of the herd or the flock. Verse three, if the offering is a burnt offering from your herd, you are to offer a male without defect. You must present it at the entrance of the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. You are to lay your hands on the head of it. Could you imagine that? Right. Any of you got some pets at home that you've been raising for a while? How would you like the Lord to say that'll be a worthy sacrifice? Why don't you, you go lay your hands on it and you slaughter it for me? A little different, right? Yeah. 
You are to slaughter the young bull before the Lord. And then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar at the entrance of the tent of meeting. You are to skin the burnt offering and cut into pieces. And the sons of the Aaron and sons of Aaron, the priests, are to put fire on the altar and to arrange the wood on the fire of the fire on the altar. An acceptable sacrifice is one that you personally identify with. Why? Why? Because you need to personally identify with the sacrifice that God's made. An acceptable sacrifice to God is one that you personally identify with. One that you are personally responsible for. You know what that means? Someone else can't offer your sacrifice. An acceptable sacrifice will always cost you something because you need to identify with the fact that God's sacrifice and what it cost you to draw near cost him everything. The altar always demands your best. And no one can bring your best except you. Friends, the same altar that Isaac's life was spared on was the same altar that David said to Aruna, I will not sacrifice to the Lord what cost me nothing. That's the actual, literally the same altar that these men encountered was the same altar that Jesus Christ was crucified on Golgotha. Every single one, because prophecy is pattern, pattern is the spirit of Jesus. The exact altar that Isaac is is spared on is the one that the son of god was not returning back to the altar means personally identify with a cross-centered life is that you is the cross a morbid place for you or is it a life-giving place for you yeah good because you're about to have to deal with romans 12 1 Romans 12:1 says, "Therefore I urge you, brothers. I urge you, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, in the view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, not dying sacrifices, living sacrifice. You couldn't die and actually do what God needs. The Son of God did so so that you can live. And now that you can live what? As a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is a true and proper act of worship. He wanted you to present yourself as a living sacrifice. This is me, Lord. Look, I'm on the altar. Sometimes I want to crawl off because I'm a living sacrifice. But Lord, would you help me be willing to stay on? I'm here because I'm willing, not because somebody made me. Everything that we do in the body of Christ is a voluntary offering to the Lord. You simply just need to be willing to show up. Because it's willingness that's your best. Your sacrifice must be a free will offering to the Lord for it to be acceptable, saints. 2 Corinthians 8.11 says this. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Watch this. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has 
not according to what one does not have. Y'all need not to miss this this morning. If the willingness is there, the sacrifice is acceptable. What if the willingness is not there? That's called malicious obedience. The altar recalibrates you and takes your eyes off of what you do not have and keeps it focused on what you do have. How many of you are so ultrally focused on what I'm not yet instead of what you are? I'm a son of God. He's promised me many things and I'm going to get there. But today, this is what I am and it sets me free. <laughs> oh, what God could do with a willing people. What God could do with a willing people. What God could do with his inheritance. And what he could, how he could release it in your life if we were just willing. Isaiah 1.18 said this, come now, let us reason together. I want to settle the matter. Your sins were as scarlet, but now they're white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they'll be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Because the sword's what's used on bricks. Fire doesn't fall on an empty altar. There has to be a sacrifice on the altar for the fire to fall. If you want the fire of God, you must become the fuel for God. A living sacrifice, not a dying one. And friends, if you are sheep, you are destined for the altar. To return back to the altar is to return back to a place called holiness. Where happiness comes from. And some of you are a little short on joy because you need to get back there. You don't believe me? Look what Exodus 29, 37 says. For seven days, make atonement for the altar and consecrate it. Then the altar will be most holy. And watch this. And whatever touches it will be holy too. Mm. When you and the altar are one, you become holy because the altar is holy. Because the altar is holy. Matthew 23, 18 says this, and also, you also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by the oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. Friends, Romans 12 says that you are to present yourself as a gift as the gift that the gift might be holy. You can't do that if you don't think much of yourself. Do you think of yourself being presented back to God as a gift? If you don't, you don't see yourself as God sees you. Hmm. Yeah, I'm touching a nerve on that one. The altar is the place where what I bring is transformed into something acceptable to him. When you prepare a willing heart, saints, for God, you repair the altar of God in your life. And he's the God that answers by fire. Amen. Listen, when you lay an altar for God, your willingness will be cultivated. Sons of promise return and lay altars so that they can be transformed. This is the constitution of the kingdom. 
Leviticus 6.9 said, Give Aaron and his sons this command. These are the regulations of the burnt offering. The burnt offering is to remain on the altar throughout the entire night till morning. And the fire of God must remain burning. And if you're the altar of God, that means your fire must stay lit as well. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. In verse 13, he says, the fire must keep, be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. Moses and Aaron prepared the priesthood to maintain the altar of God, and God lit the fire in Leviticus 9, 4. Elijah repaired the altar of God in 1 Kings 18, 38, and God lit the fire. In Acts 2, 1, when Jesus, after Jesus had laid the eternal altar, in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, King Jesus came and he lit the fire. And where was the fire lit? Tongues of fire were lit on every single head in that place because they were the altar of God. Friends, when you willingly Present yourself as a living sacrifice. God will light the fire. If your fire is not lit in this place today, then you just found out the reason. Because you hadn't present yourself as a living sacrifice. Maybe you're walking around as an old, dead, morbid, dying sacrifice. But King Jesus already did that. You can't do it. He did it so that you'd be a living sacrifice. You need to get up and have some joy in this place. You need to get up and have some hope in this place. A little bit of faith will go a long way. Matthew 12, 20 says a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. That's who he is. That's what he does. He's looking for you half-hearted people. He's looking for those who's got a little bit of flicker and it should be a flame. And he's saying, you are my opportunity. Let me light your fire. Come back to the altar. Return back to the altar and I'll do what I do. I'll light you up. God is the Lord and he has given us light, Psalm 118 says. Wow. You know the, sage, the Hebrew sages, which are just commentary on your Older Testament, which you should absolutely read because you have an entire Bible, not just a New Testament. They say that the altar is a circle of life. It's where you say in your actions that what I have came, what I... What I've been given from God comes from God, and now I'll return it back to God. So the altar is not a place of loss. Instead, it's a place where we gain perspective or regain perspective. We begin to see like God again. Is that you? Do you need to see like God again? Maybe you need to see yourself like God sees you. Maybe you need to see his direction as he sees it. It's your chance for personal revival so that you might have a renewal fire. Hmm. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, King Jesus said, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Have you been worn out? Are you a little bit of weary? Are you a little weary? Maybe you need to return back to the altar and let God light your fire. Because that's what Isaac did. He laid an altar so that he can call upon the name of the Lord. How long has it been since you called upon the name of the Lord? Well, the reason you don't call upon the name of the Lord, number one, is you think he's opposed to you. Or you think you're good without him. Or you think you can't. 
and you return, you, or you haven't been on the altar. And when you lay an altar again, he, he's faithful, even when we're not. And he lights you up all of a sudden. And you got a renewal of your strength. Anybody need a renewal in this place? Right? You've been running a race and it's a long one? Yeah. 1 Timothy 6.12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of the eternal life to which we were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of witnesses. Hmm. How many of you have gained something from binding yourself to a community of God? Even though it has demanded you to sacrifice something that you thought was of worth. Yeah. Where the death of something transpires, life emerges. Isn't that the foundation of your faith? Death brings life. Husbands in this place, you've been waiting for some transformation in your wife. You die and she'll live. That's how it goes. King Jesus died for his bride and she lived. This is the reward of binding yourself to the body of Christ. Hebrews 10, 5 says, Therefore, when Christ came into this world, what did he say? Sacrifice and offering I did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. A body you prepared for me. A body you prepared for me. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a three-stranded cord is not quickly broken. To become a living altar, you have to be a collect collection of uncut stones. All right, we're about to wrap this message up. Friends, the only life that daily brings correction to our sinful nature is the one tied to the altar of God. Around here we say correction is affection. Jesus was tied to his altar and it set him free. Is the crucified life, is that what it does for you? Does it bring resurrection? Hebrews 10, 19 says, the blood of Jesus gives us confidence to run to his altar instead of from it. Amen. Is that what we do? Where we'll receive affirmation of our sonship. It calls, it's called forgiveness. Your Bible says affirmation of your sonship comes from discipline. Have you been affirmed in a while? Then you let the spirit of the Lord discipline you. You need some affirmation? Yeah. He died once so that we could die daily and therefore live daily. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Jesus said this as a reminder to you this morning in Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. In chapter 10, verse 38, he says, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, he said, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to you, yeah, you, it's the salvation and power of God. Let me remind you that Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 says that when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive. Alive. Some of you need to let your smile show that. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of the legal indebtedness that stood against us and condemned us. The penalty of the law has been taken away. 
And he took it away, nailing it on a cross and having disarmed the powers of authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on his cross. He not only made you a son, he made you an heir. He not only took away the leverage and the penalty of the law that stood opposed to you, he gave you his power. He gave you his inheritance. He gave you everything that he was in order so when you gave him everything that you were. I call that a good transaction. Jesus tied himself to the altar to become an altar, to become an altar for you. He showed you how to activate the resurrection power in your life, saints. Wow. That's amazing to me. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, author and perfecter of your faith, I think somebody said this morning. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And if you're with him, you're there too. Are you with me this morning? I've said a lot. And I hope you got some of it. But what I'm going to say next, if you hadn't heard nothing, hear this. When he got on a cross, he became sin. When you get on a cross, you become holy. Wow. Wow. Why do we run from it instead of run to it? Because it is the very place that resurrection life comes forth. Stand with me. Let me encourage you with this. As I thought we might do an altar call, but I think I'd rather have a lifestyle than one. And I think I'd rather give you the responsibility to go home and do that today or before you leave with this place. If you're not right with God, don't leave until you are. There is no fire on an empty altar. But where there is a living sacrifice on his altar, he's going to light it up. We started with these three scriptures on mine. Romans 8, 17. Now, if we are children, we are heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed that we share in his sufferings in order that we might share in his glory. Hebrews 13:10, we have an altar. Genesis 26:25 and Isaac knew it. And that's why he built an altar so that he could call upon the name of the Lord. You call upon the name of the Lord today? Would you? Raise your hands with me. Mighty God We are not an individual body. We are a unified body. One holy family. One altar crying out for the fire of God to fall in this place. Mighty God, I'm asking that you would light the hearts on fire in this place for one another. That we would grow, Lord God, to love one another. To sacrifice for one another. So that you might get glory through our lives. Father, if we can do that, Lord God, then this region would benefit from us. 
we would be able to reach out to the lost, to the broken, to the lame, Lord God, and see them healed in Jesus' name. To see the orphaned spirits, Lord God, come in and set the lonely in families. To bring, Lord God, the cynical in and let them learn to trust again. To bring, Lord God, the unequipped into a place that might actually care enough, Lord God, to propel them in what they're called to be. Mighty God, we're calling upon your name this morning. And we're going to call upon your name tonight, night and day, day and night, night and day. Lord God, we're going to pray like prayer changes things. And we're going to pray, Lord, until it happens. Mighty God, because we trust you. And we know, Lord God, that when we cry out, you hear our prayers and you are looking forward to pouring them out on the earth. So, Father, we love you. King Jesus, we do magnify your name. And we ask, Lord God, Father, that we would be known by our love for one another and our love for this city.